everybody, and welcome to the subtext. If you are a first-time listener, my name is Brian James Polak, and I am the host of this podcast. Uh, usually, and I say usually with a gigantic grain of salt, usually this podcast is a conversation between me and another playwright, and we talk about our lives as playwrights and whatever may come up um, on that topic. Since Corona came to be back in March, the subtext has morphed and evolved into being um, other things, basically as needed for me to be able to create episodes each month. Uh, so I've tried to do a lot of different things, and that's part of the reason I'm talking to you here right now. Uh, spoiler alert, there is nobody on this episode. This is essentially me talking for a bit and talking about uh, what I'm doing here, what I hope to do in the future, and uh, essentially checking in with you listeners. Um, if you tuned in to hear somebody else's voice besides mine, uh, check back next month, I think. <laughs> uh, to everybody else, hi. I have had some people in the past suggest that I be interviewed on uh the subtext and I've always shied away from that because something that I've really tried to do consciously I've tried to share this platform with other people and not just use it as an opportunity to um, tell my story and share my voice which I do enough already I have often taken the uh, cold opening of the show to talk about something that I've been thinking or feeling but I've never been interested in being the subject of an episode. I still am not, to be honest with you. But it has been since May, since I've been able to release an episode. Uh, I missed I missed June, and it was looking like I was going to be missing July, because I do have some things in the works, but uh, since social distancing has changed the rules of, of interaction, and uh, I've been working with other people to help provide I don't want to say exactly what I've been working on but since I've been relying on other people you know there are a lot of uh, complications that arise with with that with regards to scheduling and and getting things getting things done and I'll talk about more of that in a minute the reason why I wanted to do this podcast is because I am constantly trying to engage with others. And I'm not somebody who has come to that easily over the years. And I mean that not just in terms of creating a good podcast, but in terms of being just an engaged person with the world. I find being alone very easy, and I find connecting with others to be a bit of a struggle. And the construct of a podcast made that a lot easier and it gave me the opportunity to talk to so many different amazing playwrights over the years i'm not saying all this because that's going to change i'm really excited to keep this going and i'm going to keep it going as long as american theater will have me but i just wanted to sort of give some context about why i've been doing this and it's been going on for you know five straight years with a couple little um pauses here and there but it's been an unbelievable struggle since the virus hit us 
and I know that you know the, the virus launched a thousand a thousand new podcasts, so it's not like podcasts can't be made in this environment. It has just been really hard for me because it's forcing us to do something that is antithetical to what I want to do this for, which is to sit down, share space with somebody and connect with them. I can't do that anymore. I could do zoom or some other zoom variation. That just doesn't feel right to me. And, and so much of this is based on a feeling. If you've listened to any of these episodes, I'm obviously not a trained journalist I essentially go by feeling. I feel out conversations with people and I talk about whatever comes up, whatever impulses come up over the course of that conversation. Uh, there's very little planning that goes into it, which is probably obvious to a lot of you. Uh, and it, But that's really intentional. It's because I, I want to sit and have an authentic conversation with people. And since we can't share space at the moment, that's been really, really tough. You know, if you've listened to the past few episodes, I've I've found different ways to, I hate to use the term create content because that's so capitalist. And this is not a capitalist uh, venture in any way. But I was able to use this platform to, you know, connect with people back in March when I had uh, playwrights call in to talk about how their lives are adjusting due to Corona. Uh, back in April, I shared a bunch of excerpts from plays that, that were canceled because of the virus. And in May, uh, if you haven't listened, I really hope you do, the, the playwright E.M. Lewis, who did the, spent the month of May basically recording um, daily diaries, daily audio diaries, and we edited them together into a single episode. And it's just sort of a beautiful journey listening to her experience as a playwright living on a farm in Oregon over the course of a month while we're all essentially on lockdown. And then June came, and I had some ideas, which I'm still working on, and I hope I hope to be able to release them to you all soon. But I had one idea, and I was exploring that one idea, and it's just really complicated, and uh, I'm working with some really super unbelievably busy people who have generously agreed to give me some of their time. And it's just been a little bit of a struggle to put something together. So I missed June and then I thought that we'd be able to get this together for July and that uh, has proven to not be the case. Uh, so, you know, I'm taking this moment, I guess, of self-indulgence to talk to you directly a little bit about what I'm trying to do here with the podcast and what I've been trying to do uh, myself as a playwright. The subtext has been such a labor of love for me for, for many years, but it has not always been easy for me to do this. You know, I am a, I don't know, emerging playwright, fledgling playwright, and it kind of feels like it's it, that's eternally the case. And that's okay, because I know there are so many other writers like me out there, and that's part of what keeps me going, recording these month after month. But what happens to me sort of psychologically is, I, you know, I'll talk to 
one amazing playwright after another about their lives and their journeys and their struggles and and it's beautiful and it's it's wonderful to connect and listen listen to their stories but over, over time it wears down on me like i start to feel like i will never break through i'll never i'll never get the attention that i that i that i seek i'll never be able to tell the stories on stage like i wish i could and so uh i asked myself if i want to keep this going and there have been times where i was really ready to to hang it up um but i i keep going and Part of the reason is back when I did this in Los Angeles for LA Stage Alliance, I had Danny Oliver, who uh, I uh, co-created the, the the podcast originally with, talk me off the ledge. And then when I started doing this for American Theatre Magazine, I was able to continue on with my own creative motivation. You know, I was learning how to record, I was learning how to edit, and that was very exciting and very interesting to me in each episode for my opinion, was getting better and better over the course of 2018. And then I got to have a conversation with Paula Vogel, which was beautiful and wonderful and inspiring. And if you've ever had a conversation with her in person, you know what I mean. If you were able to even listen to that episode back from, I think it was September or October of 2018, you can just hear how wonderful and joyous and amazing a person she is. And at the end of that conversation, she told me something that has kept me going ever since then. And that is, this is my way to, I can't remember how she phrased it. This is how I am still, you know, part of this theater world that we're in. This is my contribution when I'm not having a play produced, which is the vast majority of the time. I'm still doing something. I'm still engaging with people. I'm still creating something to share with others that uh, a lot of people find valuable and and vital. And hearing her talk about it in that way has really kept me going month after month since then. And here we are almost two years later, and this virus hits, and it locks us all down, and uh, it really tapped it really had me tapping into a certain creativity that I never thought I had when it came to being a podcaster. And I found these creative ways to create episodes, which was very exciting. And it opened my eyes up to what the, what the subtext could be going forward. So what I hope to do moving on is not just create the traditional sit-down conversation with a playwright, although I'm very eager to start doing that again whenever the virus allows that to safely happen, but also create, I don't know, different insights into the world we all exist in. And I really think about all these things from my, my specific point of view, because I know that my specific point of view is not so unique and specific to just me that there are a lot of people that uh, are very much like me the curious and the fledgling and the emerging playwrights and theater makers of the world out there listening and these are the people that I think about I'm thinking about you when I'm having a conversation where I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about what type of episode I could do next month I'm thinking about the curious and I'm thinking about those seekers and the yearners 
out there who are writing and writing and writing and just want to have that play produced. But here we are now in this um, time of slowdown and this time of shutdown. And I'm just dying to sit and connect with, with another with another person. And even though I think I'm the type of person that has struggled to connect with others, I think deep down I've always wanted this connection. And I think that's why I got into theater in the first place. What I've learned through dozens of conversations is the vast majority of playwrights started acting at some point as a kid or in high school or college and decided that really wasn't for them, so they started to write. And that was my journey too, except I just started 10 or 15 years later than everybody. It wasn't until I was in my 30s that I even started to think I could be a playwright. And then I go on to grad school in my late 30s, and I'm the old guy in the program, and I never really felt like, uh, I don't know, I never felt comfortable in that place. And by that I mean I never felt comfortable as a student in grad school because I was always very much aware of my own age and my own relationship to theater and how theater looks for new people. And when it looks for new people, the unspoken thing is that those new people are young. And I always knew that. So I felt like when I was in school and when I first came out of school a few years ago, I could hear the clock ticking. I really thought that I would, I'd come out and I would be like the part of the new crop of, you know, whatever, 10 to 15 playwrights that emerge out of grad schools every year. I really thought that was going to happen. And you know, I won a couple of awards at the end of my program, and that had me uh, like brimming with confidence. I really thought, I didn't think I was the best writer in the world, but I really thought that people would take interest in me. You know, I've been working in theater professionally for many years as an administrator for, uh, you know, doing marketing and fundraising and community engagement at a theater for for many years before during and after grad school and so I got to meet and get to know tons and tons of people not just in Los Angeles where I went to school but around the country so I had to I had like this network developed and we all know that theater is the is a relationship business so here I am coming out of grad school thinking wow I've already got I'm way ahead of the game I've already got people who actually know me maybe they'll read my plays. And that didn't happen. And and it didn't happen for, you know, not just me. It didn't happen for tons of people. It just doesn't work that way. I didn't know it at the time. When my three years of grad school ended, I had a good nine months to a year to learn that the theater industry just might not be that interested in me. Six to nine months after I graduated, I had a meeting with, with some 
playwriting agents who um, are well known. You know, they were, they they are. We all know there's like ten playwriting agents, and and I got to take some meetings with some of them. Which, that right there is like amazing. Like, how do you even get to have meetings with agents? Well, here's how it happened for me. I made a friend who was a literary manager. Um, when I came out of grad school, I was friends with them. And they uh, said if I ever wanted, if I ever needed anything, to let them know. And I said, uh, I can you introduce me to people? Is there anybody you can introduce me to? You know, I felt kind of at a loss of who to talk to coming out of school. And, and they opened up their Rolodex and they introduced me to to these agents and I so I took this meeting took a couple meetings and one of them was going incredibly well uh I don't want to say who they are because I don't want this to sound like I'm shading them because this isn't about anything they did or said this is really just me having my sort of come to Jesus moment with my um career so I met with these agents in New York, and and I went in really not thinking this is going to, you know, uh, be some magical moment where I'm going to shake their hands, we're going to sit down and talk, and then they're going to say, we're signing you, kid. I didn't think that. I thought it would be like, it's nice to meet you. Let's talk for a minute. Uh, send us, you know, a play to read, and we'll keep in touch. That was my expectation going in. But this conversation I had went on for like an hour and a half and it was great and I felt like it really connected with these with these two people I've like really admired and so uh I was thinking oh wow maybe my expectation maybe I should have raised my expectation and maybe something really will come of this meeting 90 minutes later uh they they say well Brian they, they stand up from the table and like, well, Brian, it was really great to meet you. Keep in touch. It's kind of like when you go on a date with somebody and over the course of the date, you're like, huh, I think there's a little, I think there's a little bit of a spark here. And then they shake your hand. They hold out a hand to shake at the end. And you're like, oh, wait, we're not on the same page. Anyway, when they said, Brian, it was really great to meet you keep in touch like everything changed and I was like oh shit this isn't great so I decide I have I have an opportunity here I can either just be like thank you nice to meet you and leave or I can ask them what it means to keep in touch I mean does it mean become Facebook friends and like all your posts and send you messages all the time. And that's what I asked. I said, hey, can we define what this means? What does keep in touch mean? And, uh, and they said, oh, well, that's a good question. They said, uh, well, we aren't in a position to be representing a playwright like you who is just starting out and trying to establish a career that we want you to establish something for yourself. And keep in touch when you do if you win an award or if you are having a play produced let us know stay on our radar in that way and uh 
and then maybe in a couple years, things will change. They told me about a couple other playwrights who they had a very similar conversation with years earlier. They were like, hey, it's great to meet you. Keep in touch. And those playwrights kept in touch. And those playwrights uh, ended up finding success in productions and awards and all that. And, and they both became repped by these agents who were talking to me. And so I was like, okay, great. Thank you. I'll, I'll keep in touch. And what I didn't know... That was January, that was January of 2015. What I didn't know in that moment was that was kind of the, I don't know, peak of my potential as a writer at the time. Because I wouldn't, I, you know, months earlier I won a couple awards and I got my MFA and I, and I got to, do a retreat with a bunch of other playwrights and that was really exciting and then I had these meetings and it really felt like this is part of a process like you do this you win an award you get the retreat you get the meetings and then you know your plays get read and then you go to the O'Neill and you get a play produced and so on so on so on and it all builds nothing built nothing happened for me after that I didn't know it. I didn't know nothing was going to happen. I really, it took me a long time. It's sort of like they say, uh, you can boil a frog because they won't feel the, they won't feel the temperature of the water rise. That's kind of where I was. I didn't realize, except it was more like the, I didn't feel the water getting cold. So a few months after this meeting is when it starts to dawn on me. I wasn't getting the finalists for things. I wasn't getting plays read. I wasn't having people showing interest. That's when this podcast started, June of 2015. And kept writing, and I haven't stopped writing since. But I always had this to come back to. Every month I had another one of these to do. And that lasted for a couple years in Los Angeles, where I, where a place that I thought was like my, you know, my theater home. Like I felt like I was a Los Angeles playwright, and this is where I was going to build and start a playwriting career. And that's not a thing that you do in Los Angeles. Playwrights don't go to Los Angeles to be playwrights. Playwrights go to Los Angeles to be film and television writers. And that might have been a thing I wanted to do years earlier. But at this point, after getting my MFA, all I cared about was working in theater. I just, I just am not seeking film and television. I just want to, I want to be in, around the table with actors and directors and designers. And I want to talk about a script and I want to make it with people. And then I want to do another one and I want to do another one and this is this is the thing that makes me happy and and after a couple of years I realized that it wasn't going to happen for me in Los Angeles despite knowing all these theater makers in in the city and uh, people who run their own theaters I wasn't connecting artistically with them I just don't think people found interest in in my writing
So I moved to Chicago, and all I want is to get my plays produced and be part of a theater community. And something amazing happens. I write this play. It's called Welcome to Keene, New Hampshire, and it's, it's a response slash homage to Thornton Wilder's Our Town. Something that I've started to do, I started to do a few years ago, probably out of desperation for my age, knowing that my time in this, in this thing is limited. I follow up on every single opportunity that ever comes my way. So, uh, opportunities come in many different forms. And one day I was having coffee with a friend who tells me about a theater that they know and that they know people that run this theater and it's a great theater and I should send a play to them and then drop their name. So I, so I did exactly that. The, that night I emailed this theater and I said, hey, my friend so-and-so told me I should send you a play, so here's a play of mine. It's called Welcome to Keene and it's blah, 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 our town. And they said, great, thank you for sending this. They responded immediately. How often does that happen? How often do you send a play to a theater or to a literary manager or artistic director and get an immediate response. So they responded and said, this is great. We're excited to read this play. A month passes, and I didn't hear from them. And I'm like, well, they seemed excited. And, And obviously silence often means, you know, no. And our job is to sort of read the silence and say, you know, don't be annoying, don't be aggressive. Let the silence be no, and then just move on to the next thing. Well, I didn't do that, again, because I'm desperate. So I follow up with them, and I say, Hey, you may not remember me, but I sent you this play about a month ago, and hi. <laughs> and really, my intention was to, to, to try to send them a different play, because obviously the silence means they're not into that play. So I kind of tried to play it cool and be like, You know what? I think maybe I shouldn't have sent you this play. Uh, I was looking at your at your production history and your and your mission statement, and I think maybe this other play that I wrote is probably better for you. What happens is, the next night my phone rings, and it's an unknown number. And who answers unknown numbers? I don't. I let it go to voicemail, and I receive a voicemail from the artistic director of this theater company that basically says, "Thank you so much for following up with us." Uh, I actually did read your play a couple weeks ago, and I love it, and I want to put it in our next season. And I, I, got this, I got this voicemail as I'm walking into my apartment, and I start crying. I start crying because this is the thing that I want. It's so important to, to share my plays and get plays produced and to be part of these things that the moment I had somebody call me to say, Brian, I want to produce your play. I'm going to produce your play. I got so, I just got overwhelmed with emotion and I started to cry. And I pulled myself together and I called them immediately because I didn't want them to change their mind. And we had an hour long conversation right there on the spot about my play and about the time frame they're going to produce it in. And, and I was like, this is amazing. And they said, give me a couple months to get the paperwork done. I have to put the rest of the season together. And this, and this was like October, November. So it's like months before, you know, season planning needs to be finalized and all of that. So I knew there was time. Cut to March, 
here in Chicago, I am, you know, meeting people, getting to know the community, sending my plays around and following up with people. And I met this one director who just got hired as an artistic director of a small theater here in Chicago. And, and, uh, they asked me to send them a play and I sent them this play, Welcome to Keene, New Hampshire, because it's an, it's an ensemble piece. It's very much about, um, the world we're living in today. And I thought it would be perfect for their company. And a couple days later, this artistic director calls me and says, I want to do your play. And I'm like in shock. This, this play is now getting two productions. That's incredible. None of my plays have had two productions. Most of my plays have had zero productions. Now I've had two different artistic director slash directors read my read one of my plays and say, I want to do that play. Not only I want to do that play, I'm going to do that play. And I was over the moon. Over the moon. This is exactly what I wanted. And I, I moved to the city from Los Angeles where nothing was happening to me. I was there for a decade and was getting very little interest in my work. And here I am in this new city and it's starting to happen. Here's where I ran into a little bit of trouble. The first theater company that said they wanted to do it, they started to, I don't know, I don't know if they were dragging their feet just they weren't the most responsive with regards to contracts. And I don't have an agent, so I need, to, I need to take care of this business myself. So I gave them, as soon as the Chicago Theater agreed to do my play, I immediately followed up with the theater, with the other theater. And I said, hey, the Chicago Theater also wants to do my play can we work out a situation where you both call it a world premiere and you share world premiere credit? And both companies said, that's totally fine with us. We're going to call it a co-world premiere. And I'm like, awesome. That's great. And then the Chicago theater immediately gave me a contract. Uh, and then I waited for the other theater. I followed up and I hadn't heard anything and then July came and I followed up and I hadn't heard anything and I think I think at one point I had a conversation with them and they were like oh we just hired a new managing director let them you know get their stuff together and and they'll follow up and then uh, I waited again meanwhile in the meantime both theaters make their season announcements for the following year the Chicago theater makes their season announcement Welcome to Keene is going to be the final play of that of that season. And then the other theater, uh, which didn't have a contract with me, made an announcement with my play in the middle of the season. And I, I couldn't believe it. So, like, without having any agreement with me, they, they started to put it on marketing materials. And I had friends who live in the city where this theater is, and, um, you know, they had print materials they have brochures their posters that you know my name and the title of my play was was all over and I did not have a contract with them and so I followed up again I said hey I don't have a contract with you I know you made a season announcement but I really think we, I need to have a contract done 
and uh, and they said, yeah, 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 we'll get something to you. And then September, October hits, and I still don't have one, so I wrote one. I went to the Dramatist Guild website, and I pulled a, you know, like a sample template contract, and I filled it out myself and added what I felt like I should be earning. And, uh, and I said, here's a contract for you. Uh, and they responded, oh, thanks for reminding us. Here's our contract. And they sent me a completely different contract, which I essentially agreed to in principle, but there was some language in there that we were, you know, working out. It was October at this point. My play was supposed to open in January. That's January 2020. In October, I still didn't have a contract with them, and we were just working out language, contract language. And that took, you know, a few weeks, and now we're into November. Rehearsals are supposed to beginning, be beginning soon, and I'm supposed to, you know, as part of my contract, they're supposed to bring me down there and house me for a few days, and I'm supposed to be there at the beginning of rehearsal, I'm supposed to be there, you know, at the end of the process and opening night. And I need the contract figured out so that I can get my travel figured out. And two weeks before rehearsals were to begin, they tell me that uh, they can't do the play anymore. This play that they had committed to over a year earlier had put in all of their marketing materials. They put in their brochures, in their poster. It's been on their website. They've talked about it. They had, you know, subscribers buy tickets. I had friends buy tickets for it. They said, we can't do it anymore. And I said, well, why not? And they said, well, something came up and we think we're going to try to do it later in the year. I said to myself, this isn't going to happen. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but... This play isn't going to happen at that at that theater. There's just no way. And so I just said, okay, thank you. And that was it. And within two days, my play was removed from their website and re- replaced with another title entirely, which they started rehearsals on two weeks later. So I got fucked. And I'm not sure how. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure what happened. I know some of it has to do with the fact that I was conducting business myself and very ignorant to it all. Um, and I didn't have somebody advocating for me. And I know that a lot of playwrights will tell you that having an agent doesn't solve anything with regards to your career, doesn't give you a career. But man, when you need an agent, you need an agent. And that's the time when I really needed one. And if it wasn't for having the second production, I would have felt a hell of a lot worse. I would have cratered. It would have ruined me. I would have been a mess. But I had the Chicago one. And I was like, you know what? This is the one I cared about anyway. It's in the city where I'm living. And it's going to be starting up in a few months. And then the virus hit. time but that production would be lost too so these two opportunities that I thought I had these two first great opportunities that I've been waiting for for all these years since I finished school just disappeared 
And now here I am along with, you know, okay, time out. I completely understand that this didn't happen to me, but I can only speak to how I feel because of it. And it is unbelievably devastating. Like I, I'm distraught over having lost that production. And it's still not technically never going to happen. But when is theater going to happen again? You know, we just don't know. And because we just don't know, we have to assume that for the time being that there's nothing. And so what does theater look like on the other side of this? What does my playwriting career look like on the other side of this? shit I didn't really have a playwriting career before this is it likely that I'm going to have one after this I don't know I don't know but the struggle that I had before all of this isn't any different. Is it going to be any easier afterwards? I doubt it. Fewer theaters are going to be open. Fewer opportunities are going to be available. And so why keep going? And I'm literally asking myself, that question in real time right now I'm asking why do I keep going I have no idea I have no idea I think part of what will keep me going for a period of time is just learning if the one production here in in Chicago might be resurrected but if and when that doesn't happen what keeps me going why continue to write and send plays out to people I just don't know I don't know Yes. God, this is so painful to think about. I, I got out of undergrad at age 22 with a, I had a degree in philosophy and literally no interests in anything. I had nothing I wanted to do. I was so bored I'd go to work I'd come home I'd make dinner I'd watch television I'd maybe go to a movie with a friend every other week or so I'd play some basketball every once in a while but my life was empty I had no purpose and because I had no purpose 
my my search for something brought me to theater and getting involved in theater brought me to playwriting and now what the hell do I do if I'm not a playwright anymore I can keep going with this podcast but part of the premise of this podcast is that I'm a playwright and I'm talking to other playwrights and I'm kind of the proxy for playwrights who are like me who are trying to become something and trying to get their work read and trying to get plays produced but if I'm not that anymore if I'm not that proxy if I'm just a guy with a microphone well what's the point God, but Paula Vogel said, you're doing something. You're doing something valuable. Man, I don't, I don't know if I can stop writing plays. I, it's just like the... I've worked in all of these different companies in the corporate world. And I've worked in the nonprofit world. And I've done lots of things. And nothing interests me like being a playwright. Nothing does. I can't stop. I don't think I want to. I mean, I always joke that one day I might die under a pile of unproduced plays. And I was I was just being self-deprecating. But maybe that's really going to be the case. Maybe if if being a playwright and writing plays is truly the thing that I care about and maybe the only thing I care about then I just keep doing it until I'm done and I don't think I'm done I think I'll get to the other side of this virus and I'll still have stories to tell and I'll still have hopes and I'll still follow up with people and I'll still say, hey, I've got a play you might find interesting. And I'll follow up on opportunities and maybe some of these opportunities will lead to something. You know, they came out of nowhere last time. I guess it could happen again. What's clear... I would say, is that the trajectory of my playwriting career is not the same as the trajectory of a lot of playwrights. Maybe I'm starting a new trajectory that other playwrights will look at and say, maybe I'm the playwright who you know, does a podcast and stays connected to the theater world that way and then just keeps writing plays and you know, sails through the day on hope and I think that's what I'll do I think that's what I'm going to keep doing I'm just going to keep doing this recording this podcast hopefully um, much more interesting than the episode that you're listening to right now 
when I started this, I don't even know how long it's been, an hour or so ago, I really thought it would be a quick check-in about uh, what I'm doing with the subtext and what I'm hoping to do going forward. I didn't realize it was going to be a whole existential uh, monologue. But here we are. I'll end with this. I love theater and I love people who make theater and I want to do everything I can to help everybody who makes theater achieve their dreams. So when I read a play that I love, I tell everybody about it that I can. And I'm going to keep doing that. I'm going to keep giving advice to people who contact me and ask for it. I'm going to read plays when friends ask me to read their plays. I'm going to go see plays. I'm going to keep writing my plays. I'm going to continue to be part of a community in the best way that I possibly can. And I'm going to continue to be a theater maker and a playwright as best as I can. I'm going to try to continue to lift myself up while I simultaneously try to lift others up. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And I think I can, I can do that with pride. And I think I can go to bed at night feeling good about that. Because the only thing I can control is what I do. I can't control how anybody else is going to respond to a thing that I write. I can only control what I do. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to end there. They have a script for these things and the script prompts me to say things like yeah welcome to the podcast and my name's brian so i don't remember all the things i'm supposed to say um i'll try to pull them all in my head the the subtext uh, the subtext is brought to you by american theater magazine which is a program of theater communications group um produced by me and associate produced by KJ Jarbo and I think that's all I have to say find us on Twitter at subtext podcast email me if you want and that email is the subtext podcast at gmail.com subscribe to this podcast wherever you can do that whether it be Apple podcasts or Stitcher or all the other things, the other places, um, and share with your friends. I can't wait till next month and the months after because I'm gonna, KJ and I are gonna create some awesome things for you. Thank you for listening through this and uh, being essentially my therapist this month. Take care. <laughs>